You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. Well, I'm really excited for this morning. Hope you are too. So those of you who may be just joining us may not uh, know what we're doing. Today is called Q&A Sunday here at Cibolo Creek. We do this at least once a year. We've been doing it for like 10 years where the audience is given the opportunity to ask questions, and I'm going to do my best to field the questions. This is not Stump the Pastor Sunday, okay? Um, If you have a great question and your intention is just to see me squirm, um, see me after the service, and I'll I'll be happy to field your question. No, this is for the benefit of all of us, and it could be questions about faith journey. It could be questions about the scriptures. It can be questions about life, and uh, again, we'll just do our best. And here's, here's my, uh, my deal. If I don't know the answer, I'll just tell you I don't know the answer, okay? I'm not interested in trying to impress anybody with making stuff up. So I'll just tell you, and then typically what I do is I'll just spend a couple of minutes thinking out loud. Like, how would I go about answering a question like that? What would be some of the principles and observations that may come to bear on how we go about answering the question? Now, here's why we do this. I have always believed that a great church is a place where questions are welcome. Certainly, we have some wonderful answers to offer folks through an understanding of the scriptures and of Jesus Christ, but we also embrace the value of asking questions because I'm convinced the more questions that we can ask and we can dialogue about an understanding of our faith, then our faith grows in confidence. And so rather than pretending like you got it all figured out, let's be people who admit, I don't know all the answers and I don't have it all figured out, so let's talk. And so this is just one of the forums here at Civil Creek that we create in order to give people the permission to uh, ask questions. Now, for those of you who may be wondering, the instructions for how to submit a question are here in your copy of the Creek. You can use the QR code. That's right. Look at you. <laughs> the QR code. Or you can go to uh, the website, slido.com. You put in that code, 962348, and then you'll have an opportunity to answer a question. Now, nobody will know what question you're submitting, but everybody will see your questions. And we serve notice to our loft crew because they like to mess with me sometimes (laughs) and ask very interesting questions. This all makes sense? All right. Hey, how about a warm Civil Creek welcome from my friend Wyatt Marchant. Howdy, howdy. Wyatt is going to be our host today. So the questions you're submitting are showing up here on his uh, laptop. I have never, I have not seen any of the questions, so I don't, I don't know what you're asking or what you're about to ask. Uh, Wyatt's going to pick um, some of the most popular questions because a lot of you end up asking similar questions. He's going to ask those. He's also, I've asked him, find some of the, um, the odd questions, the questions that maybe there aren't a lot of but might be really interesting to tackle. I said, don't protect me. No softballs. I mean, just go ahead and ask the questions that people are asking. And um, here's the deal. We will not get to all the questions here today. We'll get over 100 questions easy. But here's, here's something fun. Questions we don't get to today, we might be able to use in our new podcast. You know, mm-hmm. Wyatt and I are working on a new podcast here for Cibolo Creek Community Church. We've uh, recorded a couple of them. We have. And uh, we're going to record a couple more and kind of get a little built-in library of them, and then we'll, we'll make them public. 
Yep. It's just Wyatt and I sitting down talking about faith and things that we're learning here on a Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, maybe most of you don't know this, Wyatt and I are about the same age, so I enjoy having him... <laughs> Enjoy having him here on our team. So, I, you know, just another member of the staff. That's if that is true, time has not been kind to you. <laughs> wow. Hey, he said, whenever we get out there, we're just going to do some banter. Here it is. Is this the banter? This is it. Wow. Guns up, baby. And you're, you're in charge of the questions. That's right. This does not bode well. <laughs> no, White, I, we are glad to have you on our staff. White's been on our staff for a number of years, served in our student ministry for some time. He grew up here at Cibolo Creek yep. and uh, found Christ, was baptized here at Cibolo Creek and then uh, grew up in our student ministry, became a part of our staff team. It's now on our uh, communications team. That's right. You're doing a great job. Yeah, thank you. So you got any questions? I do, I do. Uh, we'll start out with a light, funny one. Oh, a light, funny yeah, one. Yeah, before we get to the serious one. Is Paul a dog person or a cat person? Or does, <laughs> or does he equally love all, or does he... Well, it's redundant, but does he equally love all critters equally? I love all creatures, great and small. I just happen to think that dogs are angels sent to earth. And on the question, do dogs and cats go to heaven? There's a small, obscure passage in the book of Revelation that would teach us, dogs, yes, cats, no. <laughs> I love cats that belong to other people. I, I, I do. I do. I love cats. I really love dogs, so I'm a big fan of dogs. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. You agree with me? Uh-huh. Oh, well, good. Yeah. All right, next up, this is an actual question here. How do I distinguish God's will for my life from my own wishes and preferences? Great question. How, how do I discern God's will for my life versus my own preferences or what I, my own agenda, my own ambitions? It's a good question. Um, I'll give you a couple answers to consider. Let me preface it by saying, don't necessarily think that they're opposing ideas. Because if you're nurturing a healthy relationship with God and you're spending time prayerfully considering the scriptures and evaluating things like your temperament, your personality, your talents, your spiritual gifts, then it's possible that God is at work shaping your desires and your ambitions. So they could be one and the same. Don't think that, well, one's mine and one's his, and that his would be diametrically opposed to everything that I might be about. Does that make sense? I mean, God cre created you uniquely for a reason because he had plans and purposes for the unique talents and gifts and skills and passions that he's granted you. But, but here's, here's uh, some important things to keep in mind. God is never going to lead you to do anything that's contrary to the scriptures. So the foundation of understanding what is God's will for my life begins at the scriptures. 
What is God's design for me as a human being? What is God's design for me as a man, as a woman? What's God's design for me as a Christ follower? And the scriptures provide a lot of important information for us to just establish the boundaries that we're going to live within for our lives. So as long as my life is consistent with the scriptures, then I can be I can be assured that I'm living within the context of God's will for me. Then certainly um, the nature of your heart, a prayerful consideration, a submissive sort of spirit, and submissive to the authority of God in our life, looking to do those things that are important to God are always going to be within God's will. For you sharing your faith with a friend, for you serving others out of compassion, for you employing your spiritual gift within ministry in the life of your local church or your community, all of those sorts of endeavors are going to be within God's will. Where we need to question about our ambitions and our desires as opposed to God's is anytime that we might be considering something that we know to be contrary to the nature and the instructions of God. Does that make sense? So I I, I would say that would be one of, that would be the essential place to begin is what I'm thinking of doing, getting involved in a person that I might be getting involved with, how does it square up to what I understand to be God's design and God's will as declared in the scriptures? I think that would be important. Probably say a lot more, but we do want to answer some other questions. Absolutely. Next up, do we shield our kids from evil or show them the evil and point them in the right direction? And if that's the case, how do we do that well? Oh, great question. Um, Not like there's a lack of opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) You know, certainly a lot of it has to do with the age of your children. I'm a big fan of preserving the innocence of a child for as long as possible. That is, not to, that is not to raise naive children, but protecting children from mature social sorts of themes in your home and as a parent, I think is really important. Because here's, here's the, I think the unfortunate truth of the society in which we live. Generally, anytime they're outside of your house, they're being exposed to all sorts of things that probably you as a parent would not prefer. And I still do believe that the parents are the primary uh, guardians and uh, guides of a child's life. It doesn't get farmed out to the school system. It doesn't get farmed out to the politics of the day. It doesn't get farmed out to the society as a whole. It takes a village. There's, there's some truth to it takes a village. There's also some very scary sorts of ideas behind that idea. Parents, those children were entrusted to you by the creator of the universe. You are the one that was responsible to see to it that they have all that they need to thrive. And so the, certainly younger a child is, we have to be very careful of guarding and protecting them from what it is that they see and what they hear because those stimulus in their lives have an enormous impact on the shape and design, uh, the shape and the culture of their brain. And the brain determines so much about what they decide to do in life. Then certainly as your child gets older, we can't, we don't want, we don't want to raise naive children. So we want to begin to, uh, um, here, I think the big thing is have conversations 
Not just the conversation, an ongoing conversation where it's safe in your home to talk about the things that they're reading in literature at school, to talk about things that they're encountering in the hallways with uh, peers, uh, to talk about things that they might have seen in a movie or watched in a television show, to have those conversations and basically to set in a, a temperature, an environment in your home where it's safe for your kids to talk to you. If you react and penalize them for bringing up subjects that you may be uncomfortable with, them knowing about what you're teaching them, evidently mom and dad aren't safe. So where do they go and end up talking? To their friends or to their friends' parents? And you can't always be assured that your, their, their friends and their friends' parents are gonna be providing the same sort of guidance that you would have as a parent? I'll tell you, I grew up in a situation where um, I spent a lot of time getting a lot of clues from my peers, and my peers were not teaching me things that my parents wanted me to know. Not even close. And some of the dangerous roads that I ended up down later in my life was because the influence of peers and the subject matters that they introduced me to. And I didn't have the maturity to navigate my way through them properly, and so it ended up being a problem. So certainly as your children get older, you start allowing the conversation about things that are difficult and uncomfortable because, and unusual because the home should be the safest place for them to fail in sort of navigating these very difficult situations. So that hopefully, here's, here's, here's the important thing, I think. Hopefully, by the time they leave your home, 18, 19, 20, 21, because really when, when they, <laughs> in our home, once they reach their senior year of high school, you, you start seeing them a whole lot less, okay? But once they head off to college, yeah, they come back to your house for spring break and for Thanksgiving and Christmas, at least you hope, right? They, they come home, but they've really begun a life of their own. They're now determining their own future, their own destiny, and they're off at college or they're out in their, their new career, and they're being exposed to so much stuff, it's best if they arrive on that scene with a certain confidence in the underpinnings of their, under, of their, of their faith, certainly, and certainly some structure around which they make wise choices regarding morality. And all of that's cultivated really from the time they're like two, that safe place. You know, my, my wife's super mom, I mean, seriously, my wife's amazing. The time that she spent every evening putting our kids to bed, certainly reading stories, but cultivating conversation, and she had this thing, roses and thorns, that she did with them every night. Roses, what was the best thing about your day? Thorns, what was the hardest thing about your day? That cultivated a conversation so that when they were 13, 14, and 15, there wasn't any topic that we, could discuss, we couldn't discuss. Does that make sense? Might be how I'd answer that question. Very good. All right. Biblical view on female pastors and cultural differences on this matter. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Here's why. Here at Cibolo Creek, we define pastor as somebody who leads and loves our congregation well. If you lead and you love our congregation well, 
you have the credentials in, in our minds of being a pastor. Now, here's why I allow for um, an understanding of Scripture, a biblical understanding for why I think this is within the framework. Remember that passage in Scripture we've been looking at, Galatians chapter 3? In Christ, there's no male or female, there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no slave or free. And you just continue that logic. There's no clergy or laity. That whole distinction of clergy and laity is not is not a healthy biblical model. We're all just members of a body of Christ as expressed here at Cibola Creek Community Church. And here's what I understand about spiritual gifts, some 25, 30 spiritual gifts that are um, outlined in, in the New Testament. And uh, the gifts of shepherding, the gifts of leadership, gifts of teaching are all a part of that list. You with me so far? Gifts of leadership, gifts of teaching, and gifts of shepherding are three of the spiritual gifts are granted to the body of Christ. And what we see about the gifts in the body of Christ is they're not distributed by the Holy Spirit based on age, gender, or marital status. The gifts were given to the body, not to men or to women, not to marrieds or singles, not to 15s or 55s. Without distinction of age, gender, or marital status, the gifts were given. So we are trying to cultivate a redemptive community where people are encouraged and supported and empowered to use your gift for the good of the body of Christ here at Cibolo Creek. And a few women have distinguished themselves as being good leaders and loving our congregation well, and we've invited them to come and help us shepherd the church family here at Cibolo Creek. And so I'm a big fan. And uh, trust me, this is an enormous discussion about where men and women fall out into God's design. And I do not find any conflicting information based on a proper contextual understanding of some key passages of the New Testament that would limit a woman from being a shepherd in the life of her church. Okay, let's find another one really quickly because it's getting a little right. nervous. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Best piece of advice? Well, I, two of them popped in my mind. I just take those, okay? All right. Um, when Charlotte and I found out that we were expecting our very first son, first child, um, at the time, I was being mentored by a gentleman who was an executive for a big company, uh, international company. He, he and I were meeting for breakfast uh, once a week. And uh, he was an amazing leader. And so I was a young pastor and I was looking for leadership guidance. And uh, he was just larger than life to me. And I, I remember going to breakfast that morning, like early, early, and I was so excited to tell Mike that Charlotte and I were about to have our first baby. Charlotte was actually gonna have the baby. Okay, we were going to have our first child. And again, he was an amazing executive, amazing follower of Christ. He was an amazing husband, amazing dad. I just thought the world of him. And I remember I said, oh, Mike, it's Charlie and I are expecting our first child. And he paused. And he just sort of looked at the ceiling. Maybe like he was thinking, okay, what would be my wisest bit of advice? And he said, Paul, I'm going to tell you this. Kids only know time. They don't know quality time. 
So you can't come home work from work for a half an hour and play with your kids and be done. You have to give them your time. You have to invest in their life all the time. You have to always be available to them, not just some designated time. And I just remember that marked me. And it stuck to me to this day. Kids don't know quality time. They just know time with their dad and with their mom, especially dad, because in our society, dads can often be pulled away far too much. That's not to say that women can't either, but before I get in trouble, we'll stop there. (laughs) Second piece of advice. This one changed my life. Um, I heard a preacher say it a number of years ago. I was late 40s. Time is life and life is time. When it sunk in, I was like, oh, that's it. Time is life. How you spend your time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, how you spend the time that you're given every day, every week, will ultimately write the story of your life because the story of your life will only be about the things you put time in, not the things you wanted to put time in or wanted your life to be about. It will only be a reflection of the time that you spent, with you, uh, spent in your life. Time is life and life is time. We all get the same amount of time. We all get 24 hours a day. And how we use that time writes the story of our life. And when I got that, it changed a paradigm about how I went about managing my day, my week, my month. So I don't know if that was what somebody was looking for, but that's honest. Well, it was up to you, I think, with the question. <laughs> so, All right. I have friends, and this is, I'm going to, this is kind of, there's a lot of questions on this, and so, but I'm going to ask this one specifically. I have friends of color and or a member of the LGBTQ plus community. How can I help and support them? And then also, addendum to that, how do I justify trainings and diversity? Do I accept them at the workplace, in society, et cetera? (laughs) It's a big one. This is a big one. You know what's so unfortunate is that things like lifestyles and color of skin has become so stigmatized that it divides us. And now we're just living in this society that's all caught up in knowing how to dance through these issues. Um, let me, let me step back and answer maybe from a broader perspective and then we can get to something related to the question. Th- this is me formulating my answer. Um, what's become so difficult in our society is the confusion between love and approval. So those of you who have children or who have children, If your child disobeys you, um, they lie to you, or they stole something that wasn't theirs, or they, you know, hit their brother or sister, they've done something wrong. So let me ask you two questions. Do you still love them? You do. They're your child. 
you love them. Second question is, because you love them, do you approve and applaud the behavior that was wrong? You don't. In fact, it's out of your love for them that you seek to correct them towards something that will be a healthier, more productive way to go about living their life. So this is the tension when it comes to uh, certainly the, um, the community of alternative lifestyle. Um, it is possible to love without affirming or approving something that we understand to be wrong in the eyes of God. Um, I mean, the Bible's very clear. And it's not my prerogative to make it something, to make the Bible sound like something that would be more popular of opinion. It's God. It's his nature. It's his will. It's his word. My responsibility as a pastor is to simply share it as honestly as I understand. But the truth of the matter is that God is very clearly opposed to certain expressions of sexual conduct. And while the, New the Old Testament and the New Testament both affirm God's position on this particular matter, and while the, the nature of what is said in the Old Testament and what's delivered in the New Testament, while there is some difference in that how a person relates to God between an Old Testament faith and a New Testament faith, nothing about God's opinion or perspective on sin changed. It's just how that we go about understanding God's forgiveness and our relationship to him in light of our sin. So I believe it is possible for a Christ follower to hold a position regarding a particular moral behavior without in any ways compromising our love for that person. I have a number of very close friends who are homosexual. I have a number of relatives that are homosexual. I enjoy being with them. I love having conversations, hanging out with them. I, I love celebrating birthdays and family reunions. It's, I can love, but that doesn't mean I have to um, accept and approve something that I know to be contrary to God's design for human beings. And it is, it's a dance. It's a very delicate dance because we now live in a society that's very vitriolic, a society that's very oppositional to each other. And so the equation becomes this. If you don't approve of my lifestyle, then you don't love me. And what that is, that's a manipulation and an intimidation tactic for the conversation. It is completely possible for me not to approve or applaud what you may choose because I understand it to be contrary to God's design for your life, but it doesn't mean I love you any less. And we see this in Jesus. He loved everybody he met. He never once backed away from his understanding of what was right and wrong. And we as Christians were invited into that same balance full of grace, full of truth like Jesus was. We can be completely gracious, but we also have to be completely honest and truthful about our understanding of the truth of scriptures and live within the tension of that. And I think it's completely possible to be respectful and warm and kind and compassionate and, and friendly and, and all the words without giving approval or assent to a lifestyle that we know might be contrary. Okay. All righty. You're smirking. 
Yeah, well, that's just because I really like the way one of these questions is phrased. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read two. What How are we doing my... on time? <laughs> we got lots of time. Oh, tons of time. <laughs> Especially with how you push it. <laughs> what if my heart says God is real, but science shows man to be around for at least a million years? Another way of asking that. What about those dinosaurs? I've got a few fossils. Where do they fit in the biblical sense? Wow. Read the first part of the question again because I think the wording's interesting. What if my heart says God is real, but my science... Heart, my heart says God is real. But science shows man to be around for at least a million years. Science shows that. That's what, that's what the question says. I know. I'm not here to give my opinion. <laughs> okay, so some of it is the premise that we start from. Does science conclusively demonstrate that humankind is a million years old? I'm not sure that I would begin with that premise. Um, but my heart, my, my heart tells me God is real. Here's the interesting thing is science will also tell you God is real. If you approach science without a bias. Because what happened is, I mean, there's a, an entire, um, this is a fitting word, entire evolution of science that happened throughout history. That many of the most um, revered scientists of days gone by, they were strong believers in God. And they believed that science was just a way of affirming or affixing the things that we understood to be true about God. But then there was an evolution of society where we started to push God out of the equations. We started to dismiss the scriptures as a credible source of information or truth. And so now we had to build an entire scientific method without a God, without a higher power, without a, um, a creator or sustainer. And so what we end up then is creating a science without God. And then it's open to a lot of interpretation of how do you explain certain historical or geogra geographical, geological evidence in the whole discussion of science. And, and I'm not a scientist to have a level of that discussion with anybody. So I'm not going to pretend to be. Um, what was the rest of the question? What about those dinosaurs? Um, yeah, I, the dinosaurs are not a problem biblically. Um, where they, do we see them like from Genesis to Revelation? No, but there is um, a tremendous amount of history that isn't covered from the time of creation to current time that certainly allows for that sort of, uh, the existence of that sort of thing. So that, that one doesn't weird me out as far as can it be possible or true because we have fossils demonstrating that it is true. Is it on the same chronological timeline that evolutionary scientists want it to be is the question that ends up becoming hotly debated topic. Does that make sense? Did that feel like a punt? It's a big question, though. It, it's a, well, all the questions are huge, and I just got a couple of minutes to try to answer. Exactly, yeah. What's your biggest advice for a young family or a couple that's entering into marriage? I think I know who asked that one. My best advice for a young family or a couple, this is me, it's a, whenever I do weddings, I give this advice. 
I think the smartest thing that a young couple can do is learn to pray together with each other for their marriage. That shouldn't be weird. And I'm not talking about, well, the wife prays for her husband and their marriage over here, and the husband prays for his wife and their marriage over here. No, I'm talking about the discipline, the consistent discipline of a husband and wife, certainly newly married, because you're learning and building so many new patterns and and habits. Make it completely normal and comfortable that sometime during your day or a few times during the week, just to put icing on the cake, hold hands with each other and ask God for his wisdom and blessing on your marriage. I, I just, and then to do that with your children to where that's comfortable and normal and not awkward or weird, it, it, it develops the habit that this is familiar way, this is a familiar way to go about life. People pray. People ask God for help, for guidance, for uh, his blessing on what the endeavors of their life. Make that normal for your children. Every time you sit down and have a meal together, which again, I'd encourage always protect quality time around the table and a meal as a family. Make it normal, bow our heads and pray. Thank God for the day. Thank God for his food. Thanks God for your brothers and sisters. Thanks God, thank God for, for life. Make that normal, I think, could be one of the healthiest habits that either a couple or a family could develop. Ready? And, and let me add, um, <laughs> because here's the deal. Your kids are going to go to school every day for what? How many years? And then they're going to go off to college And that sort of thing is not going to be affirmed. And it won't be normal. In fact, they'll go to school and it'll be weird. All right? And couples, there's going to be a million influences on you and your marriage. And few of those, outside of the context of a relationship with Christ, few of those are going to be positive and healthy. So when you, this may be strong language, but I, I do believe this. We're living in a day and age, we have to fight for the family and we have to fight for the sanctity of marriage. And it ought to begin in this church. You ought to be leading the way of modeling for your children and modeling for your friends. This is why we we go to church on Sunday because we are committed to worshiping our Savior. And our family, we eat together as often as we can and we bow our heads because it's a place where we we stop and we give thanks to God. And I, okay, last thing and then we're done. Um, Husbands and wives, the greatest gift you can give to your children is modeling for them what a healthy, loving marriage looks like. because they're gonna learn that from you. And everything they learn from you, they're gonna take into their marriage. So treat them and teach them well. The best gift that you can give to your children is not a car on their 16th birthday, or is not fancy vacations or a big house. The best gift that you can give them is the example of a healthy marriage. It'll serve them the rest of their life.
All right. How can you grow in your trust, uh, your trust for God, and then how can you distinguish between trusting and waiting on Him, or just naively sitting on your hands and oh. saying you're waiting for Him? Yeah, yeah. Um. First question: how, how can I trust God more? You want me to be honest? Yes. Will you do it if I tell you? You're like, well, <laughs> tell me first. I, I'm convinced of this. You want to trust God more? Get outside of your comfort zone. Quit trying to arrange your life to be comfortable and convenient and easy and pleasurable. Do stuff that's hard. Do stuff that pushes you way outside of what you would prefer. Go to places that you wouldn't normally go. Interact with people that you wouldn't normally choose to interact with. Get involved. Make a commitment to something that you'll have to stick with for a long time and you can't just bail out because, well, we, something else came up. Stick with it. Stay with it. Do something hard. Because when you, get, when you do something hard and you do something big, it throws you to your knees. Like, God, I need your help with this. So get outside of your comfort zone. A lot of what we do here at Sibyl Creek in the name of serving is an invitation to help you get outside of your comfort zone. Okay? Does that make sense? There was a second part to that question. Yes. How do you distinguish oh. between waiting on God and using that as an excuse, essentially? Um. 36 seconds. Um, really what you're distinguishing between is am, am I willing to do what I organically know is the right thing to do or the necessary responsible thing to do or am I just procrastinating because that's hard? Okay, the right, you're out of a job and have been for weeks you know the right thing to do. Uh, I heard it once said, looking for a job is your new job. And so it's eight, 10 hours a day. It's you getting up at the crack of dawn and getting dressed like you're going to work and doing whatever you need to do. It's on the computer, it's on the phone, it's making appointments, it's, it's, it's hitting the streets hard in search of the best expression of your gifts, your talents, and your experience. Okay, that's what you, that's the thing to do. Now, that's intimidating and that's scary and I've been rejected 500 times and nobody wants me because I'm 56 years old and they're all done with guys like me. And I, okay, so now you're not doing anything because you're afraid. So coupled with a lot of prayer and trust that God's gonna provide your needs, you do the hard work of finding the job. All right, sitting at your, sitting, the phrase sitting on your hands Waiting for God to bring the job to you is irresponsible. It's not generally the way he works. Does God surprise? Does God provide? Absolutely. But he usually provides while you're out there looking. Does that make sense? Um, just, we're, we gotta go. Um, 
There is, a, there is an amazing theme through scripture. I've been recently enamored with it the last year. There's a theme about waiting on God. There's a theme about be still. Be still and wait. What is that? That is not me sitting at home waiting for God to do what I'm supposed to be doing. What that is, is I'm waiting at home doing the hard work of searching for the job that I need in a quiet, peaceful confidence knowing that God is going to provide. Be still and know that I'm God is don't live in panic. Don't always be worked up with the stress and the fear and the concern. It's, it's basically this, chill. Chill, why? Because... I'm God and you're my child and I've committed to taking care of you. I will meet your needs. I may not meet all of your wants, but I never promise that. I will meet your needs. You're not going to go without. And wait. This waiting that we see numerous places, Old Testament, New Testament, is not, (laughs) it's not the impatience upset worked up kind of waiting on God, like you're mad at him because he's taken so long. No, the waiting is, I'm in God's hands and I'm in God's timing. And while I'm doing all that I need to in order to address whatever situation I'm in, I do it in the confidence that God's going to provide for me and I don't need to stress out. So that's what I might offer there. Um, it's 11 o'clock. We got to go. Yep. Nicely done. Indeed, so sir. again, probably a, a lot of other questions. A lot of other questions. Yeah. And uh, you and I, we can tackle them in our podcast. Indeed we can. They also might become the topic of a new series of messages. Hey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for the great spirit of the questions you offered. And I hope this was beneficial and helpful on some level, if for no other reason than one, the permission to ask questions at Cibolo Creek, and two, maybe some modeling about like, if I don't know an answer like confidently, what are some ways that I could think about it from like, what does the scripture have to say? What do I know about the character of God that might come to bear? What's some wisdom that would be true? And I think you can come to the kinds of answers that give us the confidence to proceed in our faith. Make sense? You guys are awesome. Let me ask you to stand together. And let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Cibolo Creek Community Church. This thing that you got started 25 years ago and you saw fit to let us help. We just thank you, Father, for the ways that you have used our church in its very unique expression of ministry. Father, thank you for the men and women who come through our doors, the children and the students who come through our doors with questions, wondering about stuff of faith. May they always find a place of freedom and permission and empowerment. Ask your questions. Let's talk about it. Let's go on the journey of discovering what might be principles of wisdom to come to bear on the questions that we ask because I believe, Father, like you believe, 
that it's there that our faith grows and blossoms and becomes strong and confident. Father, thank you for each one of these men and women who are here today. I ask for your blessing over them. In Christ's name we pray, amen.